where an event occurs, workplace violence type occurs, situation occurs within the workplace. And in many cases, that can be traced back to these same types of issues of an individual not feeling heard, not feeling respected within the organization. They begin to blame the organization for whatever happens to them, whether they're ultimately terminated and come back or whether they're still an employee at the time of the event. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Most companies feel that the insurance companies would be able to cover most financial risks for them. But without understanding your risk profile, it's hard to predict if they will be covered. Understanding and identification of risks require thorough analysis of your processes and supply chain and evaluate them on an ongoing basis. You might also need to monitor macroeconomic factors and how they might affect your risk profile to have complete control on your financial risk. In today's episode, our guest, Hart Brown, shares his insights into the enterprise risk management and risk governance processes. He also discusses the drivers that result into financial and legal risks for the companies such as disgruntled employees, macroeconomic factors, and uh, supply chain issues. Finally, he discusses what companies and operations managers might be able to do to navigate current risks because of supply chain disruptions, war, and inflation. Let me introduce Hart to you. Hart has over 20 years of experience in global innovation leadership. He has been instrumental to strategic planning, crisis management, risk mitigation, and resilience, ultimately driving organizational optimization and acceleration. As a leader, he has effectively led teams to develop and implement programs worldwide, while also focusing on cybersecurity efforts, financial modeling, and forecasting, as well as business development initiatives that have led to organizational excellence for various companies. He is well versed in acquisitions, JVs, and M&A transactions utilizing advanced acumen to influence seamless business operations. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey Hart, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Amazing. And I'm super excited to have you as well, because the kind of work that you do, especially in the risk space, this is going to be so meaningful for our operational and financial executives. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story and current focus hard? Of course, of course. Thank you very much. Um, so at this point, about 25 years working with organizations uh, as it relates to growth, innovation, uh, risk, governance, and crisis uh, in many yep. cases, unfortunately, that spanned across both 
public and private organizations around yep. 50 different countries around the world uh, and literally across all verticals. Uh, so very happy to have this conversation today and, and look forward to it. Okay, amazing. So obviously, it's going to be so much fun to dig into all of the work that you do. But uh, before we do that, we have one of the standard questions that we ask every single guest that come on the show. And that is going to be your perspective on growth. So a very interesting question in, in today's dynamic. Growth from a pure output perspective is both strained and constrained. Um, and from that perspective, you can break that out into both internal issues for organizations, technological transformation, the issues that many individual employees are going through, as well as the external aspects of what we're starting to see, uh, certainly globally from a supply chain perspective, from a customer base perspective, what's likely to occur over the next one, three, five, ten years um, as things begin to fracture as we're, we're sort of seeing now in Eastern Europe, uh, Russia, the Ukraine conflict, all yeah. of those things starting to play in. Uh, that's not likely to change over the near term and, and in fact likely to, to get worse. So while there is a demand for uh, growth, there certainly is a demand for increased output from a consumer uh, perspective. But most organizations, certainly that I'm uh, working with today, are, are have those two, the internal strains and the external constraints in trying to manage or match the growth that's being asked of them. Okay, very interesting perspective. And I am always trying to connect the dots. So here we are talking about growth. We are talking about global situation. And then we are also talking about the risks that we are going to be covering today. So if you were to tie these two things together, I don't know what impact we are going to see from the global situation perspective. I don't know if our risk is going to be increased. If it is going to be increased, then I would like to know what that is going to be for our manufacturers, distributors, retailers here, you know, what kind of challenges can they expect to face because of the global situation? Uh, and then maybe tie the dots with the growth. Okay, how the risk correlate with, with growth? It's a, it's a great question. And one that, that is asked quite often when I'm having these kinds of conversations. So you're starting to see the signals play out on a global basis. Okay. You're, and you're starting to see rather than one you know, for years and years and years, we talked about globalization, one economy, we're all working together, so to speak, which led to very diversified supply chains, looking for cost savings, looking for these efficiencies uh, around the world. Now what you're beginning to see, you're starting to see sanctions, you're starting to see companies making decisions on their own, whether they're going to work in a certain country or not work in a certain country, you're seeing yep. almost those on a daily basis. What you're likely to begin to see based on the signals that we, we have now is rather than one global economy that's able to function cohesively, yep. we're likely to see three. Three different spheres of influence, and I almost refer to them as longitudinal on the globe, longitudinal economies. So you'll have one that's more than likely the center of influence being Russia and Eastern Europe. Yep. Some parts of Europe may be included in that. They'll operate 
as uh, as as coherently as they they can amongst themselves. You'll have China being a center of influence throughout Asia in many cases, and you'll see that function coherently, and you'll see the Americas and probably uh, Western Europe function as a third potential economy. Now, here's the interesting aspects when you're starting to look at supply chains and so forth, and certainly things are, are changing and they're changing quickly, yep. is how often and in what ways are those three economies going to collaborate? Yeah, and allow the allow themselves to work with each other, and which ones and at which times, and it's going to change, at which times we are not going to work together, and you're certainly starting to to see that with with sanctions, with different types of actions being taken between these uh, these three spheres of influence the, that are likely to change, and organizations that operate a, a, across all three will either have to start making decisions how they're going to do that or yeah. if they really want to do that, or are they going to have to almost subdivide and create three different operating entities, one that's focused for each of those potential economies that functions somewhat independently. So I think you're going to see different different organizations make different decisions going forward, one, three, five, ten, ten years, yeah. um, in order to manage that geopolitical sort of fracturing we're seeing now. Very interesting commentary there. So I want to make sure I understand the operating entity comment that you mentioned. And obviously, I also want to make sure that my listeners are able to follow along and we are able to translate this for them. So from their perspective, obviously, now I understand the macro view that you are trying to describe, that we are going to see these three different political powers, and they are going to drive a lot of different things. But let's say if I'm the supply chain manager or the CFO or the operations guy uh, in the company, I am trying to see, okay, what does it mean for me? Okay, am I, so when you say operating entities, does it mean that, let's say, if I'm serving these three different markets, Am I going to be planning for these three entities separately, more from the target market perspective? Or am I going to be planning, let's say, if I am sourcing a material from China, now for me, it's going to be a risk that I should be sourcing not only from China, but I should have a backup uh, vendor that is probably going to be, uh, you know, from one of this geography and then one from American geography as well. So what does it mean overall when you are trying to describe these three political powers? How does it translate for the CFO or the, the operations manager? Great question. And so I think you're going to see a, a distribution of answers to that question. There's not going to be one answer that works for, for everyone. So some may take the approach of still trying to work across those three spheres of influence and connect. So in order to get supplies from China or Asia into, let's say, the U.S., Canada or, or in Europe. In others, you're going to see those supply chains only you'll need three different supply chains to supply three different markets. In other cases, you may condense that that down and only work in one of the markets that you feel is is most beneficial to you to avoid that political risk of potentially working in in markets that could you could see sanctions, you could see things pop up very very rapidly 
And so they'll need to be insured. They'll need to be managed in, in those, uh, in those spheres of influence differently in many cases from a banking perspective, from, um, from a commodity perspective, a, a supply chain perspective. All of those, in many cases, those operating entities are going to have to supply themselves and service the markets that they're currently in. Very interesting. So let's try to understand, you know, the kind of work you do, okay, for businesses. And obviously that is going to be critical as well, because we are trying to understand, okay, how you are going to be assessing the risk is what you do, right? So uh, let's say if I'm the manufacturing executive and I am trying to understand how you are going to be assessing my risk. So are you looking at, when you look at the risk, are you looking at more from the geopolitical factors? Are you going to look into all of my bill of materials? and trying to find, okay, what is my supply chain risk? Uh, or are you simply looking at more from the external factor perspective? So do you want to describe a little bit of, uh, you know, how the risk identification factors, and I don't know if you call them factors or whatever, uh, you know, so tell us, you know, what are the points that you are trying to draw from my data and what are going to be the risk factor that you are going to be looking at when you are trying to identify my risk profile? So again, a great question. And, and each, each situation is going to be different. If I'm looking holistically across an entire organization, certainly a globalized organization, yeah. the kinds of things that, that I would want to look at first, hopefully the organization has gone through some level of enterprise risk assessment or enterprise risk management that okay. generally entails creating a risk register, okay. meaning there's a almost a brainstorm type of approach to think about everything that could potentially go wrong and then start to prioritize, assess, use metrics, uh, model, simulate, run simulations to try and see what are the real financial impacts of these types of situations. Yeah. And what's what we're starting to see more and more of the space is what's the velocity of those risks actually occurring? And so you can you can think of from a natural disaster, you may have a hurricane or a typhoon, a cyclone. You might have five days notice before something may impact your situation. Um, in certain cases, you may have a much longer uh, opportunity to manage or mitigate that risk. Political risk, certainly in Eastern Europe, you may th see things turn very, very quickly. So I'm looking at those types of risk registers in order to prioritize what are the likely occurrences and what are the biggest risks for the organization from a financial perspective and model that that out. Um, now, things change and things are, are certainly dynamic. So that process needs to be a recurring process that can actually occur almost on a daily basis, a monthly basis or, you know, out to an annual uh, perspective in some organizations. But that's really the place to start to try and understand what an organization's risks are both externally and and internally. Very interesting commentary there. So now let's say if I try to differentiate this between your public company as well as the private company. For the public companies, you know, the risk identification is probably going to be part of your SEC filing because they probably would require you to do all of this. And I don't know if private companies are going to follow the same process as well. So overall, let's say if I look at why are we doing the enterprise risk assessment and in the organization, who is responsible for driving that, uh, you know, and why are we modeling all of this? So do you want to paint some more colors there in terms of 
what is the driver and what are we trying to accomplish as part of the enterprise risk assessment of the organization? So again, great, great question. And this, this goes back to sort of risk governance, especially okay. based on, on what life, where the, the organization is in its, in its life cycle. Yeah. From a public entity perspective, you are correct that there are certain requirements to report risks or disclose risks. Now, here's the interesting part. While most organizations do a good job of that overall, the question comes down to what risks are material okay. to the investors right. and which risks may not be material. Now, in order to do that or in order to come to that, that sort of understanding, you do have to do some financial risk modeling okay. um, and some simulation activity in order to see which ones are are materially would materially impact the company and impact the shareholders. Yeah. So while there is that push to to discuss and disclose risk, and we, we see it today in cyber and others, the SEC is starting to lean more and more into disclosing more of that information on a faster basis um, and try and take some of the nebulous around materiality out of those requirements. So that's one. Uh, but good governance is good governance. And so whether it's a public entity or private entity, managing risks on a holistic basis, on a strategic basis for the organization is just as important regardless of whether you're dealing with, you know, shareholders and, and the SEC or, or not. As far as where it sits within an organization, it's, again, it's interesting that this is, uh, this has been a developing area for, for quite a period of time. In certain cases, you'll see it sit within, uh, legal or, or under the general counsel, some yeah. under a CFO or risk management. Um, some may actually sit under the COO in its own entity as, as enterprise risk or some version thereof. So it, it's all dependent on how the organization uh, works. It's also important to understand each organization, public, private, how they're getting their, their information and their data. Do they have visibility across the entire organization, operate, operating entities, the enterprise, and can they pull data in? Or is this simply an exercise where you're asking people or surveying people, hey, what do you think the risk is? What do you think the risk is? And not be able to actually bounce that off of actual data yeah. so you can get some some um, some opportunity to really understand the risk. Yeah, so I think the key word that I picked from the explanation that you mentioned is going to be the investors, I guess. And I don't know if investors... Typically, investors or the shareholders drive this process because obviously it is going to be their money and they want to make sure that they are investing in something where their money is not going to be at risk. Uh, and obviously, that's a big deal, right? So I don't know if these are going to be the P companies that are going to be driving the risk because when I look at my SMB customer base, uh, you know, unless there is a push, they are probably not going to care as much for the risk. I don't know if you have had the similar experiences. Uh, do you have any anything to add there by any chance? No, it's very normal. Um, and, and certainly from a risk perspective, thinking through, you know, many organizations are worried about the bottom line. They're worried about revenue. They're worried about sales. They're worried yeah. about day-to-day -day operations. Risk is somewhat of, while everybody understands it's important, yep. is somewhat of a, a secondary thought, a secondary issue. Yes, and in many cases, what they'll, they'll, they'll say is we'll turn around and say, well, we have insurance for that. We have insurance for that. 
the insurance market is incredibly complicated. And so when when you see organizations go through this process, say, well, we have we have um, uh, insurance for that. It's important to actually test that process. And so yep. we'll bring insurance companies in. We'll run through a crisis simulation or some simulation to see what would the organization would do. And would those events actually be covered under an insurance policy? And you'll, in many cases, you find out that it may not. The risk you think is being transferred is not being transferred. So it is important on a regular basis, on a recurring basis, to address those risks in some way so you understand what you have, what's at risk, and what's transferred, um, and you, you understand what you're accepting. Very interesting. So obviously, now that we understand that, you know, everybody probably should be assessing their risk because obviously this is going to be your own money that is going to be at risk. So it's uh, it, only better for you that you are probably going to do that. Uh, now, we are going to be discussing some of these stories, and I don't know if you have any stories that you might be able to share based on the risk assessment that you did. And typically, let's say if I'm simply looking at, okay, what are my risks? And sometimes people are like, okay, I'm okay. I've never faced anything in the last five years, so maybe nothing is going to happen. So now let's uh, you know bring these scenarios to life in terms of what you are seeing, whether it is the external risk factors or the internal risk factors that these companies didn't know, and then they had to struggle financially, obviously because of the risk, because there is going to be a financial hit uh, on the bottom line. So do you have any stories that you might be able to share? Sure, sure. And, and, and in some of these cases, I'll, I'll be cautious because an organization had an acute event that, that caused them to go into uh, crisis mode. I've dealt with, with organizations and worked with organizations going through this uh, for many, many years, all the way back to, you know, the Enron WorldCom days yeah. when they had their, their challenges. So with that, one of the things that we're starting to see more and more um, is the interface between technology and individuals and human beings. So as organizations push forward into this technological transformation that many of them are going through, uh, but one, because of COVID, two, because of just the natural uh, evolution of, of organizations, and what we've seen is based on, on being disconnected for the last few years and, and yep. what's going on now is we see organizations that are focused so heavily on data, on information. Um, and while they may be transparent with the employees about the information and what's going on and the data elements and so forth, what you begin to find is if everything becomes data-driven and yep. data-driven only, and this is what I'd be, be cautious of, data-driven and, and data-driven decisions are absolutely important, but data-driven only begins to create friction between the employees and the organization. And so lately what we're starting to see is more and more from the employee population starting to act out in certain ways against the organization in a negative way. And in many cases, they feel disconnected from that. They feel that they're not being heard. They feel that they're not being respected um, because everything is just about the numbers, the numbers, the numbers, the output. And so with that, what we've seen is cultural fractures and cultural issues within the organization. And as those begin to percolate, and that can be in manufacturing and construction, it can be in uh, retail as those begin to surface and percolate more and more, what you begin to see is an increase in litigation. 
Um, and unfortunately, negative things begin to occur. And so when you look at that entire process, the digital transformation is happening and there's no way to stop that. And yeah. it's important for organizations to, to adopt that process. But it's also important to keep in mind that there's humanity and, and the humanistic nature of an organization to deal with its employees. And happy to sort of dive into some of the, some of the issues. But that's what we're starting to see now is almost the employees against the organization in a larger and larger way. So that's a very interesting commentary. And especially when you are going to have the larger organization and you said that, you know what, if you are going to be sticking to the numbers, sometimes there are going to be fractures because people are not feeling that they are being heard. But at the same time, let's say if I am running the larger organization, if I have, let's say, 10 managers and if I tell them that you need to consider the humanity element and then they are going to interpret the way they are going to interpret and they are going to do something, uh, you know, based on their own experiences. And now you may have litigation because of that, because this guy did something for the company because you didn't have very clear guidelines in terms of what all they can do. So in my mind, the controls are still going to be important. So are you seeing that those controls are actually firing back? Do you want to clarify that a little bit, you know? So how to basically bring the human element with controls? Absolutely. And so some of that involves education and training. Okay. Um, and, and some of that involves the compliance uh, aspect of it, is making sure that things are actually done in the right way. And I'm going to give you a couple of different different examples of the fractures that we're, we're starting to see. One um, element is it's, it's society is, is fractured and whatever's happening in society at that moment in time is being brought into the workplace. Um, another one is a complete disconnect between senior leadership and the, and the employees, whether that's yeah. on the factory floor, um, whether that's, that's on site, whatever that may be. Um, another is a, a fracture between managements, uh, sort of first line supervisors and the employees. And in many cases, we've never given, you know, first line supervisors were promoted because they were very good at a specific task. Yeah. Um, they weren't necessarily promoted because they're good managers or they know how to deal with people. Um, and so all of a sudden you have this, this cyclical process, individuals and in management with difficulty speaking to, to employees. And then you go on, you have unionization, which is potentially creating fractures. You have a big push right now for, in many sectors, the employees, it's a what's in it for me approach. Yeah. Um, and so it's very individualized. There's no corporate culture, so to speak, um, in this process. So lots of different fractures that occur. It's important to be able to understand and see that when it's, when it's taking place. You can collect data and see what's going on within that, that employee basis, as well as you can follow up from a compliance perspective and make sure that when you're giving guidance to managers and others, that things are actually being done to help the situation and not make it worse. Yeah. So again, very interesting commentary. And I definitely want to peel a, a little bit more there because, you know, we need to understand how to do this. So, okay. So from uh, the compliance perspective, uh, and I am actually going to trace back whatever we discussed so far, right? So from the compliance perspective, let's say if I don't have some sort of system or the process, uh, you know, it's going to be slightly difficult for me to be able to make sure that, you know, things are being enforced. So I get it that, okay, 
education training needs to be there. But at the same time, how do you again ensure compliance based on just the training and, and education and without collecting data? Because you need to collect data to be able to enforce the compliance, right? You absolutely will need to collect the data to, to be able to enforce that. A number of different ways to collect that data. And so what you want is in, in these types of situations, the more communication channels you can open up, okay. the better. And okay. so it's not a matter of an employee having to go to a manager to say something, which then has to go to HR to say something, which then has to go to somebody else. It doesn't need to necessarily be that linear. And okay. you want to open up more of those channels. So whether it's surveys within the population, maybe in, in very, very quick surveys, um, maybe it's done on the phone or something else that you can collect that data on a regular yep. basis, weekly, monthly, whatever it, it may be. Just as a quick check-in, a grade, one to ten, how are things going? Are you happy with this? Are you happy with this? Would you change this? A quick, bu a few buttons push to collect that data. That would give an option to get that data uh, directly. The other is, you know, we advocate looking at your employee population and does there need to be, you know, in many cases you have quarterly town halls or you have quarterly meetings to discuss the business in general. Yeah. Usually that's management talking to the employees. But in other cases, having a board of employees or a board of operators or a leadership group within your workplace um, that's allowed to speak to senior leadership and meetings are set up on purpose just as a listening session. How are things going? So you have that bilateral communication outside of that, the, the traditional hardcore chain of people that need to get involved in any type of, of situation. Very interesting. So I don't know if you are going to have any specific examples of the litigation, you know, uh, that you have dealt with. And I don't know which situations these were in. So obviously now we know that, you know what, if you are not hearing your employees, then obviously there are going to be problems. Uh, but my understanding is that most organizations are going to follow some sort of processes. They are going to feel that I am doing enough. But obviously there are going to be a lot of problems in general in getting the litigations. So what are the specific, for, uh, you know, the, the situations where you see the, the litigations? Yeah, everything from, and you're seeing it play out of the news, unfortunately, on a daily basis. So anything from, you know, allegations of uh, negligence against the organization, and then yeah. you'll, you'll see that breakdown into negligence, negligent hiring, negligent training, negligent supervision, okay. um, those types of things, negligent retention. Okay. Um, so if somebody needs to be exited out of the organization, but you retain them uh, and, and you, you know that they're not doing the right kinds of things, you'll see those kinds of, of pieces of litigation. Yeah. And then as the situation escalates from there, if the, the fracture is to a point for an individual that they feel that they act out violently. And that's where we're starting. Certainly you see it in the news, you know, almost on a daily basis now or multiple times a day in certain cases where an event occurs, workplace violence type occur, situation occurs within the workplace. And in many cases that can be traced back to these same types of issues of an individual not feeling heard, um, not feeling respected within the organization. They begin to blame the organization for whatever happens to them, yeah. um, whether they're ultimately terminated and come back or whether they're still an employee at the time of the event. 
those types of things unfortunately are occurring, which then also translate into into litigation. Very interesting. And do you typically see this uh, cultural fracture different in different departments? For example, let's say if you talk about salespeople, they are probably not going to be treated as nicely as the other folks, because obviously they need to meet their numbers. And I don't know if they are going to be used to it. I don't know if they are also going to finally complain that, okay, I'm probably not uh, being treated nicely, even though I'm not meeting my numbers. I mean, your job is probably to meet your numbers, right? So do you typically see this happening inside the sales department versus the other, or the other departments are more likely to to report these things in, in general from the employee perspective? It's a good question. So for those, and it, when we break the problems up, we break them up into, is, is this an employee and on employee type of situation? Is this employee on a, let's say, a customer or a client type of situation or vice versa? Is this yeah. a criminal act? What What is going on when we're trying to figure out, you know, what's the nature of these types of situations? And we do see an increase when we have individuals in a customer-facing environment we see an increase in these types of situations occurring and an increase in potential uh, litigation. So the employee population in many times is a little bit easier. You have them there for 8 to 10 to 12 hours a day, yeah. whatever it may be. But when you have people that are customer facing, that are interacting with, uh, you know, in many cases, strangers every every day, yeah. Uh, we do see the the nature of those types of situations increase. So obviously, I would like to understand a little, little bit more the customer facing nature. So let's say if I am dealing with a lot of customers and customers are probably going to be mad at a lot of different times. And now these guys are feeling that, you know what, my company should be taking care of myself. But then these customers are really yelling. So I don't know what companies should do. Should they uh, you know, ask their customers not to yell at them? Or how, how does that process work from the risk perspective? Sure, sure. So there's a number of different things that, that go into it. One yeah. is you want to make sure that the individuals themselves, your employees, um, are in the best situation they, they can be. Okay. Um, that's mentally, physically, you know, uh, those kinds of things. You want to make sure that they're supported. So if they are feeling stress, if they're feeling certain things, that they have an outlet, they have a place to go, and they know where to go. It's, it's a very common question for us to ask is, do you, when we're interviewing employees in these types of situations, do you know that there are resources available through your organization? And in many cases, they say no. Um, and so that's the first one is make sure that, that there's a support mechanism, that there's a safety net for the individual. The second then is some training to understand how to deal with those potential dynamics. So things like hostility management, de-escalation training, um, in order to learn certain things to say and do to hopefully bring, you know, the, the, the proverbial temperature down in the room or throughout the, the interaction. And the kinds of things that we talk about in, in those situations really revolve around keeping the person talking. As long as they're talking, it's easier to start to bring them down. When you start to elevate your voice and argue with them and start to try and shut them down, so to speak, that's when we start to see things escalate, unfortunately. So it's giving them that the training and tools to know what to do. And then if they're still feeling stressed afterwards or they, they need some additional support, they know where to get it. 
Very interesting. So let's tie this back with the risk register that we had identified, right? So I don't know when you are going to be analyzing the enterprise risk. Do you typically go and talk to the employees and then figure out that they probably don't have enough training? And because of that, you have a risk of litigation. How do you sort of quantify that risk that, okay, we have a problem and we are going to be coming up with some sort of, you know, either process or training that we are going to be implementing to reduce that risk. So do you want to describe that process a little bit more? Sure. So there's a few different data sets that are helpful in this perspective. One is going to be obviously litigation. Is there ongoing litigation? What's the history of litigation? Have there been issues in the past? The second is, and not everybody knows that they can do this, but organizations that have, let's say, an employee assistance program um, that have counselors that are on on call and available for employees, organizations can call them and ask for data. Um, Ask for how many people have used the phone, how many people have called in, what are the kinds of things they're calling in for. Now, it's all protected information, so you're not going to get names, you're not going to get anything that's going to reveal identities, but you are going to say you're going to get the sense for what percentage of the population is actually calling for help. And what are they calling for? Is it depression? Is it stress? Is it substance abuse? Is it, you know, financial assistance? What is it that's going on? So that's a second data set from a culture or perspective when I'm looking at these kinds of things. The third area is on insurance and claims. So are we seeing an uptick in actual claims, work comp related or other types of claims that people are calling in and saying that that they have an issue? Um, those three data sets help to give a general guide for, for what's happening. Um, the second, you know, secondarily, we want to survey individuals as much as we possibly can and ask questions. And then ultimately, if we can get to the point of interviewing some of the employees, select employees, um, that are likely to give us some information to, to get really close to that, you know, as much as we can, a single source of of potential truth on the floor from their perspective. Very interesting. So let's analyze the current situation a little bit more. So in the current situation, as you know, we have inflation, we have pressures from all over the place, right? So for companies, obviously, it's a very stressful situation. So employees, and I don't know if, uh, you know, employees are going to be slightly more stressed because Obviously, their salaries are probably not going to be increasing. They are probably going to be asking for more, but then they have the rising costs that they need to uh, they need to manage, right? Because you know uh, it, it's just hard for employees. So obviously, there is a reason why they are going to be stressed. Now, let's analyze this from company perspective, and companies are going to be even more stressed. Okay, the reason why they are going to be even more stressed because they are facing challenges from their customer perspective. Because customers are actually facing the rising cost. So obviously, they need to cut down the contract. They need to cut down the vendors. So obviously, they are not going to be making as much money. And then finally, employees are charging them more as well, or they are giving them far more stress. So what should a company do in this situation? And I don't know if you are going to be identifying any more risk in the enterprise risk register, or are you going to just wait for things to settle down before you increase the risk profile of the company? How would you assess the situation? Yeah, I think, you know, at the moment, when you start to look at organizations in, in, the con- in this context of employee stress, specifically financial stress, yeah. um, there's no question that that's increasing. Uh, there's also no question that 
individuals are asking questions more and more. Employees are asking questions more and more. They either uh, are, are looking for more or increases in salary or they're looking to go to another company and move yep. the great resignation as, as we've heard more and more. All of that, all of those components do have a financial aspect, especially if, a, if an individual feels they can get, uh, you get paid more somewhere else or, or whatever it may be. So the financial component, there's a couple of different things to, to look at. One is, in, again, in many cases, the employee assistance program has financial advisors available that are, that are available to the employees. And that's something to highlight to your employee population that they can go and, and help with budgeting and help with some of these kinds of things during this time frame and hopefully establish loyalty to, to the company itself so we can retain some of those individuals. Um, there's no question that with pricing pressure and everything else, you're starting to to see it more and more over the past, you know, 60, 90 days. We're starting to see, unfortunately, layoffs increase. That's going to increase stress within the work population. Um, you know, am, is my job going to be here tomorrow? Transparency in those first two areas is incredibly important to to the employees. Again, to establish that trust, establish that that loyalty. You know, the second aspect of all of this is, is that digital transformation. And as you begin to, to, and continue down the path and become more efficient with what you're doing, that's going to be the driver for, for many organizations for, for quite a while during this, you know, higher inflation price, uh, related sensitivity. Um, during that time frame, you know, the, the employees are going to be stressed. That friction is going to be there. And they're going to be asking the same questions. Is the technology going to replace me? Do we need less of us? What's going on in that in that time frame? And so transparency through the process of helping people as much as you, you possibly can. You know, there's years ago, there was this this uh, ideology. And, and it, in many cases, you see it more in Europe than you hear than you see here in the U.S., but, you know, when when it's time to let somebody go, we've got to let them go as quickly as possible, get them out, because one way or another financially or they're not performing. And I think more importantly in today's situation, while that's, you know, the need to reduce overhead may still be there, the way in which we do that for employees and the manner in which we do that for employees, I think is going to to have to change in order to keep that that trust, uh, the ongoing trust uh, in the company going forward. And how would you change that? So do you want to paint some more colors there overall in the change in the process? Because from the company's perspective, I mean, they obviously want to reduce the overhead as soon as possible because that's in their best interest or the company is not there, I guess. But how would you reduce that or what would be the process that companies can take? Yeah, the, the easiest and the quickest one, obviously, is is making sure that that a individual that's that's been good to the company's work that, that has a bit of a, a runway on their way out, you know, that they're not struggling for a job on day one. That that really is is quite difficult and everybody can understand that. The second is, can you help them move forward in their lives? Can you help them find something else? That And again, that's a very humanistic approach, but whether that's offering to, you know, help with with relocation or with with outsourcing services whether it's uh, being able to help with referrals and, you know, talking to other companies and other individuals that may be interested in them. I think it's it's helpful to know that they're not on their own, even though 
they're being, you know, moved out of, of a place potentially that they loved and have worked for, for a long period of time. It's that, it's that immediate disconnection and loneliness that, that certainly needs to be addressed. Okay, amazing. That's it for today. Do you have any last minute closing advice for our listeners? I appreciate the time. This has been a fantastic uh, conversation. Always happy to, to continue this and look forward to, to continued conversations with you in the future, Sam. Um, and with that, you know, best of luck in the future. The, the future right now in the next, you know, one, three, five, ten year horizons, as we've been talking about, is going to be challenging. Um, a high level of volatility, lots of changes, and those changes are going to be, you know, semi-permanent or persistent at the, at the very least. Um, and so managing those challenges, both from a day-to-day and from a risk perspective, uh, is certainly going to be a challenge. And I, I wish everybody the, the best in being able to navigate those waters. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be the risks are always going to be there, but it's up to you how you are going to be managing them and the processes that you are going to be creating and the way you are uh, treating your employees, those things are going to be super critical, not only for you as well as for your company. On that note, I want to thank you for your time. This has been a powerful episode. Thank you, Sam. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Heart, head over to heartsbrown.com. It's H-A-R-T as brown.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Bill Palefka, who shares his insights into low-hanging fruits for SMB businesses without breaking their back. Also, the interview with Danrich Sananda, who discusses how operational security is vital to ensure that your plant is always available and operational without any danger to the lives inside the plant. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.